Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm your host, uh, Paul Niefer, and today we're going to uh, join in a conversation with Chase DeWitts from Steele, North Dakota, and he's also the 2020 Horizon Award winner from Top Producer Magazine. Chase, how are things going in North Dakota today? Oh, it's a little warm today. We're... Uh... We're getting on the dry side It'd be nice to get some moisture but uh i guess you can't complain too much so yeah no uh out in our area uh, we got, had a lot of moisture this spring but about a week and a half ago it started turning really hot i think we had 112 we peaked out at but uh, uh these days it's been in the high 90s low 100s which for this time of year for us is very normal so uh you know, we're not complaining yeah. about that right now, but uh, it was nice that we didn't get it a month ago when the crops were ripening up. So, so that was good. So, um, yeah. you know, Chase, Chase, on these podcasts, we always like to sort of go into your background, uh, where you grew up, went to college, how you got started in farming. So let's go ahead and start with that. Um, so my background, I guess, has always been agriculture. I'm, I'm on the farm. I grew up on that farm was was homesteaded by my grandmother's parents, uh, I believe in 1887, 88, somewhere in there. Um, so that's, that's the original uh, homestead. Um, so I grew up there, uh, was a cow calf operation, did do some farming at that time in North Dakota. It was primarily just small grains or raising feed for the livestock. It seemed, um, at that time, my dad and his brother farmed in a partnership, and uh, that's just kind of how things were structured. And uh, and um, I graduated high school in 2002. Um, went to one year of college at uh, uh, I guess Bismarck State College, which is about 40 miles from the farm in Bismarck. I only went to one semester college. I kind of more of was. Uh, learn by doing then by sitting in a classroom which yep. later in life I wish I would have had done more education but uh that wasn't my mindset at the time um so yeah I went back to the farm kind of more so on the cattle side started doing some custom feeding of some cattle um built a feed yard 2500 head feed lot in 2005 that was an equip project that we had done and that really kind of is what really got things going for me just from the ability to cash flow and uh kind of really started expanding from that point um you know to kind of put things in perspective in 2002 when i graduated high school my you know the operation was about 180 beef cows backgrounded them cows and uh cropped about 800 acres and Fast forward 10 years from that to 2012, uh, the operation was 1,250 beef cows with uh, 2,500 head feedlot, and we were just about to 22,000 acres of crop. Mm. So extremely fast expansion. Um, one of the reasons for that is there was a lot of expiring CRP land yeah. 
in the area and and a lot of it was actually very high quality land it was just a lot of farmers that had retired in the in the 90s lower grain price low commodity prices things like that and a lot of that crp expired on 10-year contracts kind of through that oh uh, um you know 20 or 2009 through about 2012 period yep and so that that really allowed for fast expansion kind of in that period but um so you know on the, it, on the crop acres what would be your primary crops in that area i, I have a pretty good idea what I, they might be um, but uh, i'm just curious what your primary crops are you know, North Dakota has changed a lot, but for a number of years now, my primary crop by percentage of acres has been soybeans. Okay. You know, which would be 20 years ago would be unheard of, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah, primary primary crop year over year for a number of years has been soybeans. Um, and for by acres, corn would be behind that. And then we do do some small grains. Uh, uh, I'm not, I don't, typically do much spring wheat i do durham barley for malt and feed barley depending on the market and then uh, we do some rye too so okay 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 now how much of your crops that you grow do you use to feed the livestock versus uh selling it to 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 the uh, to your other customers i guess i would call it um not a lot you know that the, the you know, the cow, both the feedlot and the cow-calf operation are kind of, um, I don't know how to explain it. You know, we we use a lot of aftermath. I mean, we do as much aftermath grazing as possible, especially on corn stalks in the fall or a lot of the small grain ground will seed to rye and then fall graze the rye. Um, typically our rye, we will bale the straw on that. Maybe we'll do a little bit of barley straw or durum depending on the harvesting conditions here and uh you know in, in the feedlot i'm not finishing any cattle i'm just backgrounding cattle so a lot more roughage type rations so i'm not using a lot of corn so so really we're not actually using a i mean we're raising all the feedstuffs that we use i don't buy any feedstuff other than some distiller grains or whatever for supplemental protein but uh, you know, by percentage of production, it's it's actually fairly minimal. And then, so steel. I looked on the map. It's about looks like it's about halfway between Bismarck and Jamestown, right on uh, yeah. Highway or yeah. I I ninety four. As far yeah. as you know, with the number of acres you have, how how spread out are those acres for both the crop side and then maybe on the cattle side? Uh, we're spread out about 40 miles. So yeah, if you look at a map, um, our main farming operation is just five miles east of Steel, right, right off I-94. And then we actually don't go too far east from there. Kind of the land really changes there, it turns into a lot more irrigated ground, sandy ground. Uh, we do farm a little bit of irrigated ground, not much. I don't own any irrigated. We just rent some. Uh, there's a lot of potato production in that area. Yep. Yep. So we basically farm from there west. Uh, we do have another farm site location by Sterling, which would be about 23 miles to the west. Uh, we've got another uh, farmstead there, which I guess we kind of reference as the ranch. That's primarily where all the cow-calf operation is at. And then 
we do have another uh, a grain bin site uh, over in that area too. Um, so yeah, we kind of farm kind of actually from Steel uh, west uh, towards Bismarck, but uh, we're spread out about 40 miles from from okay. furthest ends. So that's not too bad. I mean, I've, yeah, I've definitely talked to other producers that have to go a lot farther than that for less acres than you're talking about. And that is one of the things I, I kind of will reference 2012 as, I don't know if you'd say high watermark, but 2012 was kind of where I started transitioning. Um, you know, I was young, extreme growth mode. Uh, primary focus was just getting the work done, doing the production. The the books was the backside. Yeah. Um, also, when things started peaking out, as anybody in agriculture knows, 13, 14, 15 was a much different environment than 10 through 12. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, at that time, I probably was spread out 60, 70 miles. I actually, that 13 through 15 time frame actually contracted acres, um, tightened up my farming the footprint and, uh, and uh, kind of restructure, you know, kind of reorganize a little bit to be more efficient. We're, we're farming about the same amount of acres again now as we were in 12, but uh, better ground, uh, closer, closer proximity, yep. um, that kind of thing. So what, what type of yields would you typically expect for like corn and soybeans in your area? Well, <laughs> and I know that's a loaded question because mother yeah. nature in North Dakota can be pretty wild. So yeah, and that's the struggle. I mean, you know, we we can combine 180 to 200 bushel corn field after field, or we could chop the entire farm yeah, uh, because of complete failure, which is what we had last year. I mean, we had just devastating drought last year. Um, I've combined single digit soybeans before, and I've combined soybeans that were running 55 60 bushel uh yeah. it, it just really is really variable well and this year like you say if you don't get a lot of moisture coming up uh you know the the yeah. soybeans uh, they're starting to hit that stress period so uh, uh you know august is typically what makes soybeans now i know yeah. you know as you go north and south if you go farther south it's obviously going to be july as you go farther north it's more like uh august or coming up right now so yeah, yeah. And then when when do you typically start harvest uh, as far as do you start beans first and then corn or is it corn and then beans because it's it's variable around around the country I know that well I mean for us right now we we've harvested our rye uh, we tried a little bit of barley yesterday it's just too wet yet which is a little late but we got in the field a little late this year with all the moisture we had in in April and early May yep. Uh, I'm guessing next week we'll we'll be into the barley pretty heavy. We're actually going to go uh, desiccate the Durham probably Sunday Monday here, and you know that'll probably be the end of the, probably that following week we'll be into that. Uh, typically soybeans usually that third fourth week of September can get started on soybeans usually. The First week of October typically is full on soybean harvest, but uh, um, you know that just kind of depends, and that depends a lot too when 
you know, when we get a frost too. But. Yep. Yeah. 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 You know, out in our area, I was telling you beforehand, you know, we had uh, drought last year. Our crop was about 40% below normal. And then this year we've had record rainfall and we're probably 10, 20, 30% above normal. And uh, mother nature, sometimes it takes it away and sometimes it gives it back. Uh, I was out riding yeah. the combine with my cousins a couple of days ago and that field did about 140. So I, I think we're going to see oh, quite yeah. a few wow. 150, 160, 170 this year on, on wheat. So, uh, uh, we're, we're sort of out in the productive part of the well, Southeastern yeah. Washington state. So it's pretty nice. But, uh, now I, I know that, uh, like you said in your conversation there a little bit that, you know, you were trying to get the work done and sort of the bookkeeping, the back office sort of was, you know, not quite as important, but I think you've you've tried to maybe come up with a little bit better accounting, accrual accounting, and so on. Go go through those details for our listeners. Um, yeah, you know, as I referenced, that was kind of the transition point. I mean, it just um, I uh, well, and I had just some other circumstances too. I uh, I also got divorced in that period too, so that obviously. Um, made financial things tougher too and then yep. going into 13 14 15 and just completely different dynamics and uh i just you know kind of was just running 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 and kind of everything just uh kind of came to a headwind and uh i had uh actually two different uh people that i got involved with one who was a uh, was a retired uh, banker in agricultural lending his entire life, uh, worked for Farm Credit Northwest, and then had gravitated back to North Dakota where he was originally from. And then another guy who worked uh, kind of part-time for uh, uh, a firm similar to what you work for and had them guys kind of help me restructure everything, what I needed to do and, and, and did things on their recommendations. And, uh, um, you know, just kind of had to reset from a financial perspective. You know, I didn't, you know, didn't file a bankruptcy or anything like that. I just had to internally restructure and, yep. and, and kind of, uh, basically catch my finances up with my growth that had happened. And, uh, you know, and we got through that period and, and, um, kind of restructured some staffing and, uh, had to focus and get better on that i we still need i i'm not to that point of accrual accounting where i'd like to be um i just I, I, probably the biggest struggle there is just struggled with finding the right person yeah for that um i might my, my wife was doing some of that and now she's actually just uh graduated this spring as a nurse practitioner so, so her her career is you know she's occupied with her career so that i haven't been able to completely fill that role to the extent that i would like to um but it is we're definitely on top of our books and a lot better than uh i ever was previously but i i'm not to that <laughs> that goal of accrual accounting where i can know where we're at at any given period or any given day but i i definitely know within a you know, within a percentage or, you know, yeah. a, a rational level, but. Well, and I don't think, you know, I, I think even those that have true accrual accounting, 
you're still always there's always estimates i mean there's always things that you have to decide uh you know do you want to get down to the nats eyelash well that sounds great until you find out you spend ten thousand bucks to get down to the nats eyelash so you have to be practical and and so on now going back and i forgot to ask at the beginning so you you graduated high school got started with the with the 2500 head feedlot uh but your dad and and his brother were in a partnership. How is that? Are are you involved with your dad? Not involved with your dad? I'm sort of curious. Yeah. How that so, is. Uh, um, so my dad uh, farmed with his brother, and uh, who was ten years older than him. So it was kind of a dynamic, um, just kind of way it gravitated because the age. You know, his brother yep. kind of was kind of was the boss per se, and. And then my cousin, who was who was ten years older than me, came back to the operation in uh, I think it was 1998 or 99. And uh, at that time, they actually split up their partnership. Just you know, I and and there was there was no family conflict or anything. It was just that was just kind of the direction, yep, and they, yep. they split up their partnership and. My dad will kind of reference there that he got like a two-year or three-year window there that he actually got to be his own boss, and then I just took everything over. But, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, but and and to some extent, that kind of how things did go a little bit. But um, but yeah, my dad he still helps, uh, not quite so much on a daily basis. They actually, my mom actually just retired here in first of June, and. Uh, they uh they have a house up in bismarck as well and they probably stay there a few yeah maybe once or twice a week or something and okay so he's kind of gravitating more towards a part-time um basis but um yeah he still comes and helps but i actually financially uh bought them out last year um he still actively farms his uh rented ground yet but uh as far as all the owned ground i actually bought that from them last year and then um he still owns some equipment and uh um i'm doing a buying that out what he still owns for equipment on them slowly so okay 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 and so so really it's pretty much your operation but he helps out uh uh when he likes to or when you need them and so on and so forth yeah, 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 he does. Um, and not, not maybe so much on the um, the grain production side. He he'll help some. They're not real heavily involved in there. Maybe more so on the livestock and some of the haying and things like that. So. And over on your livestock, uh, so you have about uh, I think about twelve hundred head, twelve hundred cows. Is that right? Yeah, we're usually right around about twelve hundred fifty cows is what we have. So. And that's an Angus Simmental mix, or what? What type of uh, what type yep, of mix yep. are you doing? Yeah, okay. yeah, Angus Simcross. Um, probably more so Angus. I do uh, do bring in some Simmental genetics on, uh, you know, or half blood bulls or whatever. But trying to keep the cows more Angus based. So. Okay. 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 And then. And then you also background some other ones, uh, uh, some more head besides what what you raised yourself. Yeah, I uh, primarily I'll, I'll buy some calves in the fall. Typically, um, um, hadn't done 
much for custom feeding the last number of years. We did do some again this year or this past winter we had in the spring. Um, but um, yeah, and then I'm just, I just background them up there and then I will uh, retain ownership on some cattle and send them down to Nebraska to finish. So. Okay. 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 And then I think uh, as far as employees, you have full-time employees also have some part-time employees. Let's, let's go into how that looks for an operation. Yeah. So right now we have, uh, um, I guess right now I got uh, five full-time employees and then uh, we also employ H2A labor employees too, um, which we currently have uh, seven, uh, seven H2A employees, which are all, um, South African native. Um, I, um, I've, I've been doing the H2A program since 2007, actually. So I've been in it for quite a number of years. Um, I guess one thing I, I don't have a single, um, H2A employee there that hasn't worked for me for more than two years. So that helps. I got some guys that have worked for me almost 10 years already. So um, that helps a lot with the H2A labor. So yeah, it, it's and, interesting, you know, out in our part of the woods, uh, you know, for the H2A workers out here, which are primarily going to be in the fruit and the vegetable area are almost exclusively in the fruit side. They're all, you know, Hispanics from either Mexico or Central America, whereas on the crop side, at least the ones I've uh, you know, come across, it's almost invariably from South Africa. So it's just interesting to see, yeah. see the differences and, uh, and, you know, and they seem to be pretty good workers, you know, they, they really appreciate what they're doing and, uh, and, and they do a fairly good job. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, uh, not to divulge into this too much, but I, you know, somebody looking at that, you know, for, uh, for labor is, you know, Labor is just such a, a wide issue, pretty much among every industry, as we all, yeah. all know right now. But I would recommend, you know, I, I, uh, we do 100% internal recruiting, and 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 the reason I, what I mean by that is, the only times we bring in, you know, if somebody decides that, you know, they're not coming back the next season, or we need an additional guy or whatever else, it's they are recruited by the guys that already work there mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and, and for, for one thing, it's an accountability thing. You know, you, you personally know this individual cause you really don't get an opportunity to interview this person. They can put whatever on a piece of paper on yeah. their CV of all this. And you have all this expense involved to get the individual to your operation. And you're basing it off of maybe one phone conversation with them and whatever they put on a piece of paper. Yep. And, and, and the thing is, and, and one of the downfalls of that program is there is no, you know, if that individual comes to your operation and is there for a month and, and decides, well, this isn't for me, I'm going to go somewhere else. They can leave without any penalty repercussions whatsoever and jump ship and go to a different position. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, if you don't get that accountability aspect whatsoever, yeah. You know, where it's, okay, this is my cousin or this is a friend of mine that I've known or whatever. Well, then now they're kind of accountable because they know one or multiple individuals that already works there. And we just, 
we've gone to that model for the last number of years and that just works so much better. Well, and then for our listeners out there that maybe are not aware of how the H2A program works, um, so you bring them in, how long are they here? What do you have to provide to them that maybe we don't provide to uh, you know, workers here that are based in the U.S.? So go through some of those details, because I think a lot of our listeners really probably are not th- that familiar with the H2A program. So the way the H2A program is currently structured, it's a 10-month program. So the maximum they can be here is 10 months on one visa petition, where you will have some guys who will stay in the U.S. and transfer between petitions, you know, so you always have that two-month gap, but then they can only consecutively can stay in the U.S. for a three-year period. Um, My guys all go back for that two-month period and then come back again. Generally, probably been staying about more like about nine months, but, you know, the duration is 10. So you have to provide them housing. Um, you know, there is a minimum wage rate that is set individual of each state. Every yeah. state has got a different wage. Uh, you know, I always start my guys out at the minimum wage, but you know, year over year they get increased. I don't have anybody that's on the minimum wage currently. Um, and then, um, you know, and then you got to provide them a vehicle to drive and, and, uh, you know, and, um, you know, and, you know, there's some technicalities with meal compensation or how much time they're supposed to have. And I guess we don't get too into the weeds on that, all them details, but, uh, <laughs> you do have to, you know, technically you're supposed to, they're supposed to pay their way to get here. And then you're supposed to reimburse them after they're so far into their contract. I just usually buy the tickets for them up front and then, yeah. um, and, and just do it that way. But I mean, you do have to supply a lot of things, but you know, they're, those guys are here, they're here to work and, yeah. you know, um, you know, they, they put in a lot of hours, but you know, and it, um, it, it just with everything, it, it comes down to the individual that you're employing and you just, you have to kind of, um, gauge that of uh, what works there but I it um, yeah I don't know and I like you said I'm sure there's a lot of people that have explored it but I would say too if you have any interest in getting into the program it's not a fast process if you're going to be a new a new person to the program and you want to have employees for next spring I would say you better start the process in the next two yeah. to three months yeah yeah exactly now, you know, on the housing side, are they sort of like in a dorm or do you provide an individual house for them out in our area? We've had we've had people buy an old hotel and revamp it. We've had you know various ways of providing the housing. I'm just curious how you do it there in North Dakota. Uh, I kind of got multiple. So we got two different farm sites. We have people staying at uh, what I had did when we had the, the oil boom happened, you know, there was all kinds of sorry called bear type housing that was put up all over up in the northwest part of the state and then when the when the bust happened i mean you could buy single wide trailer houses that were a couple of years old for literally nothing Hmm. and uh, i had bought a number of them and set them up so we've got a couple of those and then uh, 
um, I guess we got one shop. There's a living area in one of the shop buildings too that we use for housing. So. Okay. Okay. Now you have, uh, I think you, what you have three kids now or how many kids do you have? Yeah, but I've got twin boys that'll be five at the end of August here. And then, uh, uh, my daughter will be two, uh, the end of November. Okay. So I'm guessing she's got you wrapped right around her little finger. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she rules the roost. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yeah. I have uh, two grandkids, uh, a girl that's three and a half and then a boy that's one and a half. And then we have a, another grandson on the way. And believe me, the three and a half year old grand granddaughter, we're just living in her world. I mean, uh, you know, the, you know, we're we're at her beck and call. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Do you think uh, I know it's way too early and I'm sure they love being on the combine or the tractor with dad. But uh, what's your plan, you know, 15, 20 years from now for for when they might be coming back to the farm? You know, it's something I often think about. Um, couple things i am going to make them leave the farm i will okay. not allow them to graduate high school and start start farming yeah they have yep. to go do something whether you go to college or you go work somewhere else they got to leave the farm because i just think back to myself i dedicated myself to the farm so heavy just right off the bat and I just, you got to go do something else, whether they go to college, they go get another job, they go military, whatever they may do, you have to leave. I am not going to let you just come back to the farm. Yeah. Um, you have to go do something else. And, you know, and who knows, maybe, maybe all three of my children might not have any interest in the farm or potentially all three might, you know, I'll have to dictate that how it goes, you know, as far as, you know, long-term planning goes, you know, I, uh, you know, if one or multiple comes in the operation and I'll push for responsibility onto them pretty quickly at that point and ownership, I'm not going to be the 80 year old farmer out there that has, <laughs> you know, the 40 year old child that's been just working for you that doesn't own anything. I mean, yeah. I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to move things over to their ownership as, as, as quickly as as fit but um but also i'm not just going to give them everything either right, right um you know and i i guess that's just something that i just i do think about that a lot and you know and then you know between you know if you got one child farming two that aren't i i have divested in enough other uh investments outside of agriculture that you know i think i can you know, as they say, what is equal isn't always fair, but right. I think, you know, I think I could get to a point to where I could make things to a point to where it's divided up to some extent evenly and just, you know, I, I don't know. You just see too many families that get destroyed because of estate issues and, right. you know, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just do not want that to happen and just um yeah. we'll be on the front end of planning of that and 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 not to say anything i just it seems like that generation that is you know leaving us now in that age bracket just they hung on to everything forever yeah 
Yeah. You know, and a lot of that I think leads back to, you know, a lot of them grew up during the depression years and things like that. They just absolutely do not, they just, they don't let go. They, they would rather pass away than address the issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think as you get into maybe more so the, the baby boomers, say the people now that are in retirement age and a little older, um, you know, I think they're doing a better job of planning and, um, and probably are actually retiring. That was the other thing about that people from that, they all work to their 80 years old. Yeah. You know, they just, yeah. they just never retired. And, you know, I think you're seeing as the generations call me, you know, the, the quality of life is just becoming more of a thing where people just aren't, you know, which you still have people like that, but I, I think it will get better with generational planning. It just, you know, there's always going to be situations. There are always going to be, you know, certain ones that are going to be, but, um, I think, I think that is getting better or trending better in my opinion, but, and I just see so much of that with so many different landlords and things like that. And, and just the wide variation you have of, of that. It's just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And and I think uh, at least when I was reading the article in in Top Producer, um, and I think as part of our conversation too, it appears that you're not really interested maybe in getting larger. Uh, I'm going to say you're trying to get better, and I know that's not the right word, but uh, do you plan on expanding more or just making what you have better, or what's what's your maybe goals over the next five to ten years? So I would say my primary, I, I, expansion is not my primary objective. I mean, I, I, I would expand with the right opportunities. I, I, I guess the way I would like to expand would be through other people. And what I mean by that is um, employees that either come in or, or employees that are already within the operation. Um, having them take on um some you know op- actively op- farming operations of their own i i i had um an employee who who was we were starting that process more so on the the livestock side and uh actually very tragically june 28th he was killed in a in an accident and mm. uh uh, 24 years old, um, terrible, terrible deal. And, um, he, we were starting that process that the, the rest of my, um, U S full-time employees, um, are either at later half of their career that don't have their interest to do that, or just, uh, don't really want the risk. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, but I, that is where I would like to go more. So is, is that, uh, myself, I, I, I farm enough. I, I, I don't need to farm more, <laughs> but, but not to say that my equipment can't go over more, but I, I want another individual to be having that, you know, that ownership of that, that's their crop and whatever else and having that more you know collaborative farming with with that individual that yep. that's more so the direction that i want to go i just um you know just haven't i i have one employee 
a younger individual that actually just had this conversation with him yesterday evening uh, about a piece of ground uh, that was coming available for rent and if he was interested in in uh, taking that piece of ground as as his to start farming so that, that's more so what I'm trying to do so okay and then also I think in the article you had mentioned that you are thinking about going away from the trend of equipment ownership to equipment leasing have you explored that further because I know this article is a couple of years old but I was just curious. well that yeah well that was you know late 19 early 20 um you know that kind of operate with with the current supply chain that that yeah. opportunity is completely gone you know yeah. i i actually did early 2020 when the world was coming to an end or i guess you know march 2020 i we actually did lease a number of units um it was very attractive at that time to do that and you know those units now are locked in at very good lease rates and i think the way equipment is gone I'll probably end up actually buying out the leases on them when they expire. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of the way the appreciation has been with the equipment. Yeah. Uh, anything since then that we've actually been able to get uh, has all been purchased. I, it, I don't even know if I haven't even looked at the leases that the, the sales people have just pretty much said that it, it there's just the numbers just absolutely don't yeah. work just because yeah. just the availability of things yeah now are you all green all red all yellow or uh or are you a mix uh, of different colors uh we're we're all green now i i have had some some red equipment in the past but and, and nothing against the red equipment i i just went all green just because of the their operations center platform and yeah. Um, you know, I, I do have, uh, had about a year and a half ago, I did hire a guy that is responsible for all our field data, um, tracking and, and tracking all the grain inventory and, uh, input product inventory. So we, we have made a huge advancement from that side. I just, I need to find an individual that can do the same thing from the financial side to get us to that accrual accounting point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and he's you know extremely tech savvy and uh, and 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 manages all of that. And we're using a few different uh, platforms. You know, like when we're delivering grain, they can scan a grain ticket into an app, apply it to a bin it came from, apply it to a contract, uh, communicates with our operations center as far as the grain coming out the field where it's being stored and 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 we've gotten to a point where a lot of that is really actually communicating on its own but you know you still have to manage that and yeah. and he's he's doing that and uh, okay. that that's probably where i struggle a little bit probably mostly because due to my lack of patience me and uh technology sometimes have a hate love relationship so. <laughs> well i'm i'm right there with you uh i've i've been accused many times of not being the most patient person and uh and so i share your pain on that end <laughs> yeah it's, no but um 
But yeah, what other questions do you have? Well, Chase, I always end with a couple questions. This has been a great conversation so far, but uh, let's go ahead and end with my two questions. I always try to ask my farmers. And the first question is, is what keeps you up at night? Is it the weather? Is it something else? I'm just, I'm just wondering what, what do you stew on uh, at nighttime once in a while? You know, to be perfectly honest with you, I actually sleep pretty good. Uh, I always tell my wife it's clear conscience and then she kind of boxes at that. But, uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Pro- probably, probably what would cause me to lie awake and, and much at night is, is probably, uh, probably labor actually, you know, you, yeah. Yeah. you know, man, managing employees is, um, is just such a i think it's a lot more of an art than a skill yeah and um you know i kind of just always second guess myself sometimes and you're always you know trying to figure out where to place everybody per se in the right seats on the bus or you got you know an internal conflict between two employees or something you're trying to address and and just you know it just you're kind of constantly delegating that and and that probably is something that is is probably one of my higher level stress points i can understand that perfectly and then and then my last question is always what what is your definition of success in farming uh (laughs) i mean that's an intriguing question um you know when when i I'll probably revert that back to what I view as what makes me happy. And I guess, you know, when, you know, there's a couple combines running down a field and combining or, you know, harvesting whatever crop it may be. And, and it's just like, I don't know, to me, it just seems that when, when things are just flowing and, and uh, I mean, that's what I view as my picturesque, uh, version of of agriculture is, is kind of that I guess I wouldn't measure it so much in the way of you know money in the bank or anything like that I I, I just I just kind of yeah. I guess you know harvest is an enjoyable time for me now especially when you have good production but um, just kind of seeing that process and uh, and just enjoying and, and, and seeing that 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 happen i guess and yeah. and in progress i mean i i i like i like to see progress you know i i love to see a a field that you you know may have taken over five years ago or something way ever be and, and making improvements to that field and seeing the production improve on it or you know or uh you know things like that i guess i just i enjoy to see progress but yeah yeah well um and I'm I'm right there with you. My uh, my favorite activity on on the farm is to ride on the combine, whether I'm operating it or not. I don't care. Um, matter of fact, this afternoon I, I actually have to do a four-hour seminar today on on estate planning for farmers. Uh, but after that, I'm going to go ride the combine for two or three hours and then head yeah. home. And that, that's my idea of of almost bliss. That's that's what I look yeah. forward to. So okay. yeah. Well, Chase, thank you very much for uh, taking some time out of your day, and uh, and uh, maybe in the future we'll 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 touch base again and see how things are going. 
All right, sounds good. It was fun. So, okay, thanks, Jason. Right, Again, this good. is the Dot Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Nee for your host, signing off. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness.